Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah here. This is another one of our Guilty Feminist Nights Out. It was recorded in Seattle in January with the amazing comedian Robbie Hoffman and writer Shauna Emma Hearn. And we are going to definitively answer the question, too much or not enough? Thank you so much to all of you who've donated via Patreon. Your monthly contributions really truly are helping keep the podcast going. We're recording another episode this week, which you'll be able to hear soon. And we've got lots of fun things to say thank you to our wonderful patrons. We understand if you can't afford to donate right now. And we would really appreciate it if you would share the podcast, tell people about it, retweet it, share your favorite episode, rate, review and subscribe, because that's really helpful too. Keep listening all the way to the end, because after the main episode, there's a quick peek into the future. For our 200th episode in three weeks' time, we'll be talking to Sean Clifford, who you may know as Fleabag's sister, Claire. We're talking to her about all sorts of things, but you can see her this Easter weekend in the new drama Quiz on ITV. So at the end of the episode, you can hear a brief extract of our conversation where Sean talks about that show. Now, on with the podcast. I'm a feminist, but on my way to Seattle... <laughs> I came from San Francisco on this lovely American-Canadian tour. I sat next to a woman on the plane with such impressive breasts. My instinct, which I curbed, was to say, nice rack, lady, nice rack. (laughs) I didn't say that, but just popped into my head. I just thought, that is a lovely pair of breasts. Mm. You and I very different, politically speaking. (laughs) I tried to explain my brother's schmully white catcalling is bad. Mm-hmm. Now, Shmuley's a construction worker in Calgary, Canada. Nicest guy in the world. Grew up with five girls. He showed me around his house. You know those houses you see that they all look the same off the highway? They all look the same. They're like a construction off the highway. You're like, who would live there? My brother. And he's like, could you believe we got the house? I'm like, yeah. He's showing me around. He gives me a tour of the house. He's like, and I got to make the bathroom however I wanted. He's like, go into the shower. There's a bench there. Because Mariana, she shaves her legs. She should take a seat, be safe. Nicest guy in the world. Tried to explain him why catcalling is not good anymore. He's like, you're telling me you're going to see a pretty girl and not tell her? Nah. (laughs) Makes him sick. Sacrilegious. He's like, you're going to see a pretty girl and you're not going to tell her. Plus, over there, it works. He's like, how do you think I got out with Mariana? So this reminds me of... If you said nice rack to her, I don't know, maybe it's safer because you're a woman. Shmoli, by the way, is not catcalling anymore, but because he's married. So it is what it is. Out of respect for his wife? Yes, very loyal. His name's Shmoli? Shmoli. Shmoli, love it. I'm a feminist, but I like the Joker. (laughs) 
So sue me. I liked it. I didn't know anybody hated it. Then I went online. I'm like, oh, I, I'm not. Mm. I didn't see it. Did it have a lot of not feminist content? Um, I didn't even look at it so with regards to feminism or not. I felt bad for him. Uh, physically, he looked ailing, and uh, <laughs> there were some medical concerns I had first. And foremost, um, as a hypochondriac, I, I was very concerned about his diet. Uh, the smoking and popcorn lung that maybe he was facing. So I, there was a lot of concerns. Feminism that did not come up for me on the list. I mean, there's a lot of content. We're asked to empathize with sociopathic white men a yeah. lot yeah. on screen, I feel. Too many stories about a man who can't stop killing. I'm not saying there is no cycle of abuse and it's never passed forward, but... We don't talk about I this one. I am saying it's not just as simple, and every single time I watch something about a psychopathic man, which is all the time, because that's nine-tenths of the content available yes, to yes. me on any streaming service slash cinema, it's always like, oh, feel sorry for this man who is deliberately being violent towards women, but then he beats himself up, and then he thinks back to when he was a child and he was beaten. And you're like, that's just not it, gang, and that's not good enough. Thank you. And we need to start telling better stories because it's excusing a lot of things. And in my opinion, if we had not been asked so thoroughly and constantly by Hollywood and television for generations to empathize with white men doing everything and feeling everything, and so rarely asked to empathize with anyone else, Donald Trump could not have been elected. <laughs> Wouldn't it be unelectable. We, feel, we all feel for white men because we've been trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and trained. But and as trained. a movie, and I'll just... Okay. <laughs> Sorry, this is, that one got on... That, that really took a turn, didn't it, the Joker? I didn't see that being so controversial, but it turned out to be very interesting. I didn't either. You know, it's like, I don't read nothing about movies. I was like, oh, I have a night off. Go see a movie. Come out ready to talk about it. My girl's like, what? I'm like, oh. Oh, Joaquin Phoenix, I thought, no. Oh, okay, we won't talk about it anymore. Mm. I, I haven't seen it because I think it's going to be too violent for me, but I am interested no, because no. it's about a stand-up comedian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Great twist, great twist. It's a story writer also. Yeah. yeah. I'm a feminist, but when I came into the amazing Neptune Theatre in Seattle, <laughs> I saw all this indoor art that was sort of like stained glass windows, and I was so blown away, and I was like, oh my God, I've got to take pictures of these before I go backstage. And I did, and I was like, this is beautiful. And then when I looked at what I'd taken pictures of, I'd taken pictures of men astride horses, like Neptune, the mythical figure, Clothed men astride horses looking powerful and women with their tits out. <laughs> lolling around on rocks. And I was like, Neptune Theatre. These are patriarchal pictures. <laughs> so I said, I cannot perform here unless they're covered with velvet drapes. Well, they could give me the photos and put new photos up. Listen, if the women are topless and they're giving away the art... I'll just cut the dude out, and, and I got new Nobody suggested that it be given away. Here's me enjoying the art. And I'm not, look, I'm not shaming, Beautiful. I'm by no way shaming the naked women of the Neptune Theatre. I'm highlighting them. If anything, I think, if anything, I think we should all get our tops off, join them, free the nipple, and say, we stand with you. Women of ancient Greece and Rome, we stand with you. Topless. Defiant. Because sometimes... Nice rack. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to do one? 
Okay. Uh, I'm not a feminist butt. No, I'm a feminist oh, butt. Oh, I am. <laughs> Excuse me, I misspoke. Excuse me, I misspoke. Huh. I am a feminist, but I'm a Bernie bro. Feel the burn. Jewish first, then everything else. Remember that. See, I have really high hopes for Elizabeth Warren. I, I do also. And if the choir I'm preaching to has anything to do with it, she's definitely going to be president. Just from that sample. I'll vote for anyone, but I can't get over the native thing. And then with the whole debacle recently with the woman president comment, I'm going, what else is she lying about? Because it's a character flaw. I'm worried. Oh, God. This is, turning into, a, this is turning into a debate. I'm worried. Are you I not mean, worried with the native? What? But how do you go outside of that? Oh, no. This is taking a turn. I just want to know about her emails. Okay, so... Listen, and I'll be warned, when I was Bernie and then Hillary, I was fucking Hill to the day I died, okay? And I will be Warren too, God bless. Or Amy Klobuchar or whatever. Do you know what I've been dreaming about? Would you all be so mad at me? I wouldn't get paid if I voted for her. I've been having a little fantasy. This is my fantasy. That at the primary debates, one of the debates, Biden steps forward and says, no, and says... We've all talked about it. We've run numbers. We've looked at what the people of America want. And we all believe, for example, say it were as Elizabeth Warren. It doesn't have to be Elizabeth Warren, but say... And I would stand by her. But, but say, let's say it's Elizabeth, we think Elizabeth Warren's got the best shot and we need to get together as a party to get Trump out. That's the most important thing. Yes. So we're all going to be behind Elizabeth Warren and then hopefully she'll make some of us her cabinet. But the point is we back her. And that just say, we're going to go together on this and we're not going to tear each other apart. We're not going to spend months going, she's a bitch, da 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 yes. da 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 We're just going to get behind and we're only going to be positive because we need the Democrats to win the next election. That was my fantasy. I also have a personal it vendetta. It because of ego, but... You know. I have a personal strike with her because I gave $10 to get a call and I did wait diligently to get a call. And I never did get a call. And then I looked it up and I actually misput in my fucking number. Oh. So then I took it personally that it was Warren's mistake. I'm like, that's on you. Elizabeth, you should have found me and wanted to call me. I would have been a great call. What were you going to just say to her? I'm voting for Bernie. If she called, no. If she called me, I would have voted for her and said he's dead to me and I'm no longer Jewish. I would have renounced my faith and really gone all the way. I'm a feminist, but backstage in the green room, I said to the nice man from Live Nation who's you know, producing the show, could I, without in any way undermining my reputation as an easygoing, very charming comedian who everyone likes, get a Diet Coke, please? <laughs> and he said, yes, that would be fine, and brought me one. Then there was another interaction, and I said, please just, my only rider is that you tell people I'm nice. (laughs) I really feel that. I genuinely do feel that. I want people to say she was lovely. And sometimes, like, if something goes wrong and you get upset or something, you think, oh, my God, that's my reputation. Everyone's going to think. Not that I would ever be rude to anyone, but, you know, if you get worked up or anything goes wrong and you're like, oh, no, that's not there or something because it's just before a show and you want everything to be right. So that's always my fear. So I always try and be extra nice. You didn't tell me I had to say that. 
No. And you didn't. Very nice. Not rude. Could have been rude. Yeah. I'm a feminist, but I don't fuck with the diva cup. I can't do it. I'm tight inside. I don't enjoy me too, me sex. too, me too, me too. The moon cup. It doesn't do anything for me. Yes. I don't know. I'm clitoral stimulation only, so we're not using it a lot. It's a big thing for me to get up there. It scratches all the way down. I'm not lubricated from no. it. it. It drives me right the fuck up. Yeah. Shit is scary as hell. I can't hear the pop. I don't know if I'm here. My hearing. They're like, and wait for a pop. I'm like, it's not popping. I don't think there's room No, I hear that. I hear that. I, once it opened up inside of me like an umbrella and it was so painful. I was screaming trying to get it out. And then... Screaming. We've talked about this before with Jen Brister on the podcast. That then you've got this sort of chalice of blood like you're in Game of Thrones. <laughs> and you have to get rid of it. And I, like, I know it's good for the environment and I absolutely endorse it. And I really wish everyone well. Good and for you everyone should try it. it. And if it's for you, you should use it. I'm not dissing it. I'm saying... My tiny, tiny, teeny <laughs> space. I know I don't look small. I'm not small. I'm five foot nine and broad. I, I've got, you know, my head. When I get, if I have a picture with you right now, my head will look superimposed on. That's how big my head is compared I to the average head. I have a very head. small head. It's big and ego, but I small am not interested in being photographed with you yeah. because I will look like Gulliver. Children's glasses. My family, my family photo name is Gulliver. Wow. Because in a photo, I can dwarf a national monument. Yeah. Put me next to Seattle Space Needle, I'll dwarf it. They'll be like, no. oh, the Seattle Space it's not that. That's how big I look in photos. I'm just the lesbian in the photo. We're like 10 kids, there's the dyke ruining all the photos. I'm like in my suit from Topshop trying to blend in. I'm like that Homer Simpson. You know, the, you know the meme of him going into the... Like, that's me in every photo, just wanting to go into the bushes. But I don't even think I probably, you know, it's like, why are we shaming women for what they put? Like, you think the little bit of cotton I put up my puss once a month is what's causing, you know, the major environmental crisis we have? Like, this is what we're going after when we have companies printing paper every day. You're going to go after women and cotton, which I think is natural. I don't even think it's paper. Is cotton paper? Does anybody have the science on it this? In general, is the science in on this? In general, we I should do like what we can plant. to reduce. We should do what we can to reduce waste in every direction. Feels and if natural. you can use a moon cup or a diva cup or whatever you're using, you absolutely you, should. We are excused because of the smallness of our. I don't even cavities. think mine was small. I think I had a uterine polyp. Now I'm really drawing sympathy points. Um, I no longer have the polyp. Is that slimming? Is that? No, seriously. That is, Five centimeters. That is more of an right I'm a feminist butt than anything I've ever heard. Okay. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but sometimes I wish I'd moved to Seattle in the 1990s and had a terrible relationship with the lead singer of a grunge band who didn't understand me, but who I could have made feel understood. Mm. And also I should have got shares in Starbucks. If I'm going back in time to shag the grunge, the grunge boy, I'm just saying... I heard about that. You know, grunge artists in the 90s were probably not the be most feminist boyfriends. Do you know what I mean? Mm. 
But they look good. That's what I'm saying. My God, would I be gay back then? I don't think so. I'm a feminist, but I wouldn't be being gay in the 90s because of the gr- hot grunge well, I boys. Was, I went to high school with Jewish guy. I was like, well, this is a no. This is for sure a no. Jewish girls, okay. <laughs> what are we? <laughs> what are you doing tonight? You know what I mean? Shop is at your house or mine. I mean, it's like anyone's guess. I'm a feminist, but I don't let a girl pay for the date. Oh. Okay, you understand you're also a girl, though. So, a girl is paying for the day. Questionable. So... Uh, yeah, no, I don't... Uh, yeah, I, I assume... I'm basically heterosexual. I mean, the only thing gay about me is that I'm gay. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, the only lesbian thing is, like, I am a lesbian. But beyond that, I'm just straight. It, does any other time, do you get, does this look, does this explain anything? Do, do you, do, are, you, are you saying, do you get, are you saying you're such a top you feel heteronormative? Yes. Thank you. I'm glad I was able to articulate. Thank you. Articulate it. Thank My you. God, did I just mansplain your sexuality? Okay. Live from the Neptune Theatre in Seattle, the Spontaneous Shauna M. Ahern talking about too much or not enough. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Robbie Hoffman, and we're talking about too much or not enough. And I see you've got your beer, because there was some discussion in Washington State, apparently, if you're on stage, you're an employee of the theatre and therefore should not be drinking or something. Um, there's some strange law, but you've Is got... Is that a, a vegan cookie you're you, going to offer me? Yeah, you could only have that beer if it's in a cup, not in a bottle, in case you glass me. I like it better in a glass, very classy. So somebody... With the pinky up? Somebody says, vegan chop chip cookies for Deborah Francis White and guests for tonight's show. Tannies, Tannis? Thank you very much for doing a US and Canada tour. You're welcome. Thank you. And this has made it more than worthwhile. Thank um, you. And I'm, these are vegan, are they? Who, where are you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Vegan, By the way, vegan, four and a half years, excuse me, and I was kosher till 19. Not vegan, but kosher. Can I just... It's restrictive, it's restrictive. It's, re- it's restrictive, but it doesn't help the animals. Like, it's kinder to the animals. It's, I, do the animals... Okay, not anymore. Do the but animals, if they were halacha, it would be. Do the animals care if you're eating their flesh in one room and then eating their dairy products in another? They do. No. They do. I mean, I'm they not do. vegan. I'm attempting to be more plant-based. Thank you for this offering. Thank you. Um, so I'm not judging, and this will not be in the podcast because I don't want loads of... I thought emails. this was inclusive, this podcast. I, got, so I was told inclusive. Have a fucking vegan Fuck. chocolate chip cookie. Jesus. Somebody's made homemade sweets. Oh, it just says a guilty feminist fan, and they've not declared themselves. Thank you. Oh, wow. Ooh, those these good. are nice baklava. Too. Is that baklava? I, uh, rosemary shortbread and salted caramels. Lovely. Oh, I not love baklava at all. 
And also, <laughs> I don't somebody know gave desserts. us a game, which I put on an Instagram story, and someone else gave us some vegan chocolate. Thank you very much, everybody. And for the rest of you who didn't bring anything, why not? Because these people it's have insulting. gone to... She's made these cookies herself. Made them. Thank you. Vodka soda with a little dash of cranberry. The Golden Famous Cocktail. Do you know, for the first time in my life, someone sent me one in a bar. It was so sexy. But I didn't go over and say thank you, I just waved because I thought it would kill the mystery. I wanted it to be, like, all sultry and sex in the city. Yeah, well, the first time I met my, uh, my ex-girlfriend, I found out she didn't... I said, oh, do you have a girlfriend? She said, no. I said, great, let me get you a drink. But it was cash only. I didn't have cash on me. They didn't have an ATM. It was a nightmare. Mm. So I try and be sexy. It's the, it's the thought that counts with these anti-Semitic bars without their ATMs. It makes me sick. <laughs> This is offensive. I know you can say that, but should you? Either that or homophobic. You tell me. You tell me. I feel, I feel like I'm going to say that to you a lot tonight. I only met Robbie yeah. yesterday on the phone. Yeah. But pretty much everything she says, I feel I need to say, I know you can say that, but should you? The call went very bad. The call went... Poorly, no, to say it didn't. the least. No, it didn't. I'm only on 4%. I was hungover in Vegas. I'm never <laughs> in Vegas. An old friend got married, so soon me. She calls me, asks uh, what my material would be. I don't think we've ever heard of each other. Um, and we just had five minutes of, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> I probably will say worse. You shouldn't say that. Yes, it will if, be way worse than that. If you're prepared to feel the emails, say what you want. But... It's, they, they, they won't blame you. They'll I don't blame me. have email. Good luck to you. You don't have email? Send away. You, you don't have email? I do. Oh. It's very clear on my website. Very clear. Couldn't be clear. Robbie at RobbieHoffman.com. I can't wait. Thank you. It's like hosting The Guilty Feminist with Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Which I love. Like. Give me 10 I mean, years. I'm very into it. Yeah. So... My phone's very low on battery. Are we recording this only on your phone? No, that's where my Emma Feminist Baths are written. <gasps> look at that. No, a professional well, recording. Well, okay. And look what she looks like. What would you do without lesbians? Come on. <laughs> Helpful people in the fucking world. I didn't hear that. What did you say? What would we do without dykes in this world? Uh, you ever think about that? You ever think about where you would be? Nowhere. I opened your present earlier, did I not? You got a big package. You did. She did. Could she... have had anthrax in it, could have had all kinds. Risked my life and got you your vegan chocolates and everything else. It's... I, I take it back. It's like hosting the Guilty Feminist with the lesbian Barbara Streisand. <laughs> it's, it's Yentl. Basically, I'm hosting with Yentl. Oifen prippa chicka Sing along if you know it. Prenta fire horns. Uninstubis. Hey, it's a Holocaust song. Very uplifting song. Holocaust song. They sang it in the ghettos. I like to start. I like to start every podcast on a positive note. I'm known as a very optimistic comedian. Oh. 
I'm putting it back. I had a bite. I'm putting it back here. Well, you had a bite too. I just want to let you know. Yeah, oh, you can't eat a whole Our cookie cookies are kissing. That's sexy. Yeah. My sister says, if you can think of it, somebody's into it. That's true. Claire Hoffman. It's absolutely true. I'm interested at the moment. I'm writing about a highly bisexual person from history. Highly. Highly bisexual. Got it. And on the Kinsey scale, she'd be right up there as bisexual. And why are you giving the microphone that a handjob? That feels job? like to me like bisexual give a handjob, not a blowjob. Am I wrong? Are you what? No, bisexual is not would give a handjob over a blowjob. That's why I to see it. Man. That's why I see it. That's why I see it. No, no. Robbie no. at RobbieHoffman.com. Fully. Bisexual woman would, or per, a bisexual person, I should say, would look at a penis and go, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> I am enjoying, if the penis, if it was attached to a person they were attracted to. But not to. the balls. <laughs> and then feel equally aroused by okay. a similarly arousing for them in this context because they're attracted to the person and the particulars. Vagina. I don't think they sort of half in a vagina, then half in a just, I'll touch the penis, I'm not going to kiss it. I don't think that's what it is. Is that the tickle? I always feel like men, a little this. <laughs> Sir? <laughs> the dykiest ball tickle of life. It's just me like, that? Is that it? Yeah. <clears throat> Asterisk, not all penises belong to men and not all vaginas belong to women. But I am interested in my bacteria side, if you're not busy later. So. Well, I, I, hey, I got nothing doing. Have you? I got nothing doing. I don't know what that means. Does that mean? It's New York. I got nothing going on and I take you for a drink But gladly. that's ambiguous, isn't it? I've got nothing Good. doing could mean I've got nothing doing for you. Or it could mean I got nothing on. And soon neither will you. <laughs> Never been to Seattle. Know nothing about Seattle. I just feel it's a sort of place where you can let yourself go. <laughs> I don't mean let yourself go like, oh, I don't give a fuck. I, I, I've given up just Netflix and Doritos. I don't mean like, I don't mean just like, can't be asked. I mean, do you say can't be asked here? You don't, do you? It's a great expression and you should use it. It's the most commonly used phrase in London. I can't be asked. Can't be bothered too, they say. Can't be bothered. Yes. Is that good? That's what the queen... Is that good? I'm working on acting this year. Doing That's... accents. Can't be bothered. Oh, you could get a job in the crown. Thank you. Thank you. But they don't hire Jews there, so... That's the only... That... Robbie at RobbieHoffman.com. <laughs> Am they, I fired? They didn't, hire, they didn't hire a Jewish woman to play Mrs. Maisel. You've got no chance. I, exactly. <laughs> It's true, though. Can you imagine? I'm not saying she's not great, but... How do you make that show without and me? And congratulations, Mrs. Maisel, on just winning the Screen Actors Guild. I'm not... I'm just saying... I can't wear a dress. I can't. Not at all. It's like me in drag. It's very bad. Very bad. It's like going to my brother's wedding. Like, I started wearing suits and not feminine clothing, and then I was like, well, at this point in my life, like, if I put a dress on, like, 
How uncomfortable is that for you? Me clogging around in this dress. You're gonna be like, I prefer you the yeah. other way. Well, also Cara Devine, was that her name? The supermodel yeah, 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 Cara who wore a morning suit. suit to the royal yeah. wedding and looked so hot. Yeah, I can't do that. I, it's not, I, I like to blend in somewhere with the ushers and whatever's happening. I don't need to stand out either way, but it's like I brought a girl to the wedding, which made my family, I come from a religious family, uncomfortable. Then I'm like, say I had a boyfriend. How weird is that? This is Michael, my boyfriend. We kiss, we French. I'm not entirely sure what's happening, but I am enjoying it a lot. Am I fired? Come, seriously, come to London. I think you'd do very well there. I've been very well there, between you and me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I, you. I feel, I feel you should do well there more Thank often. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Did you just mime snorting a line of cocaine? <laughs> Robbie at Robbie. Okay. 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 I know we have to get... This is I'm going to be fired on Tuesday. If you let me go on, I will be fired. We do have a backup... We do, this is only our backup recorder. Obviously, this is being professionally recorded by a man behind a curtain who looks like he's from the CIA. He's got cans and, you know, he's like, he's like he's in a van listening. Yeah, because this doesn't seem, I mean, for the amount of money. Yeah. That not like, but if this lady didn't come with the phone, I mean, we'd really be out of luck. All this is just, paid. no, this is just to keep my phone alive because that's where I've written my unfeminist bars. Okay. That's not recording anything. You have a cat there in the background. That's a pretty dikey move right there. <laughs> I got a cat too. Oh, really? Yeah. It's my ex's cat, even dikeier. Oh. I lost the cat in the divorce. Can you imagine? It's delightful. Um, so we thought today we'd talk about sometimes we feel like we're too much and sometimes we feel like we're not enough. And sometimes we feel the same thing in one day or in one moment. I'm being too much at this party. I'm being too much in this meeting. I'm being too much for other people, but also I'm somehow inadequate at the same time. Does anyone else feel that? Thank you. Thank God. Because sometimes you say something like that and the audience just go, no, it is just you. <laughs> audience you, of men. Do you go, feel like no. too much or not enough? I've always been too much. <laughs> and I am much too much. I would agree with most people. I'm a little, this was too much. Can we agree? That was too much. Uh, if you're listening at home, uh, Robbie is picking up two half-eaten chocolate chip cookies that we've both taken a bite out of. And during the applause, she simulated an erotic scissoring sex show. It was scissoring specifically. She scissored, she scissored the cookies. The I know what they're up to. I thought, genuinely, can we just have a quick chat about scissoring, which is not on the agenda? It anywhere. is happening, scissoring. It's, not, it's I... not the end, but it's a means to the end. It's, like, it's more of a transition move. Is it? It is. People, I dykes thought... don't like to talk about it. Yeah, they don't. You're all cause... fucking doing it, even for a half a second. Shut up. I've heard lesbians say it's not a thing. It's just one of these things that it's like an urban myth. I know they're insecure about this. I'm not saying you're out of your way. You're coming, scissoring. But you're moving over. Volve to volve. It happens. <laughs> oh, that's warm. That's, my, that's something. You sit there. You take a break. Maybe you lean over, have a sip of water. That's scissoring. <laughs> I... I am, I am learning so much, Robbie. I'm learning Can show too you much. Later. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, no I'm, I'm fascinated and delighted. I thought it was something South Park had invented. Mm. They Thank stole you. it. Drone lady up front with all the answers. Typical men. 
Got my eye on you all night. I think it's so easy for power structures that be to make us feel like we shouldn't be all that we are. I think most people live at half-mast, and I always think the best people at living at full-mast tend to be queer. And I will qualify this and say, not all queer people feel comfortable living at full-mast because of violence, structural and physical, but people who have come out of the closet often think, oh, fuck it, I'm out now. So, like, you're going to hate me anyway. I might as well stick some sequins on it, turn the Kylie up, and dance in the street. And that's really what pride is. It's like, I'm out, I might as well be all the way out. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think trans women tend to be very threatening to people, and this is why there's such a sort of scary pushback in some way. It's like, you're living your full truth no matter what it costs you. And it costs you every single day. And it day. costs a lot. It costs a lot every day, and it's like... You know, you're living your full truth, you know. And I think, actually, the closer you are to the patriarchy approving of you, the easier it is to closet 90% of yourself to try and live up because there is the opportunity for approval. There is no opportunity for approval for a trans woman unless she's prepared to completely closet herself. So... When we talk about the cost for a second, the cost is an interesting notion that the cost is so high for trans women to be themselves, for instance. But I would argue the cost is almost higher not to be, because the cost not to be would be your life. Right. But once you've paid that cost... Yeah. It's a then tough one. There's no point then going, oh, is a purple yeah. diaphanous gown too much? Because yeah. I'm already a thing society has traditionally found it very difficult to get its head around and as, you know, something that can cause a lot of attention and a lot of unwanted attention in their own ways. So, fucking hell, if I like purple, I might as well wear purple at this point. There's no point being, you know, out as far as this and then going, I'll wear a demure black skirt. So, do you see what I mean? I think sometimes... Well, where's the, the black skirt from? <laughs> well, because it could be... Yeah, no, look, a black skirt may be what you want to wear, and then great, but I no, think... I'd have to look at the skirts, is all I'm saying. No, I understand that. I just think the closer you are to approval, the more you can look for approval. Mm -hmm. And actually, we should all stop thinking we're too much and take a leaf out of Robbie's book and have people go, I know you can say that, but... <laughs> Correct, yes. Clearly, you should. You will lose your jobs. I have not been paid yet. I just would like to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen a dollar. Please welcome to the stage. It's the incredible Ooh. Robbie Hoffman! How are you? How are you? How are you? Have I been great on this podcast? Now, I was supposed to listen to an episode. Never listened to an episode in my life. Now, I did try and I tried to download Lesbos, right? But I have the new iPhone. My stand-up hasn't started. I have the new iPhone, and I was going to play it, but my phone was dying, so I had to charge it. But you can't listen and charge at the same time with the new iPhone. Okay, is that a good privilege problem to have? They got to fix that. They got to fix that on the 12. Good. Are we having a good time? Anybody knows anything about me or if, were you guys not told I was I was gonna be here? I was told yesterday, so nobody knows. Yeah. I'm not I've never been to Seattle, which as a lesbian I know is shocking. I'm originally from New York, I'm originally from Crown Heights, Brooklyn, New York. Yes, anybody else go Hasidic without a childhood? 
Okay, just me, just me. Yeah, Hasidic Tikkei, anything can happen. It's amazing. Hashem is great. Hashem is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hasidic Tisizering, dreams do come true. <laughs> Want you to know, you put your mind to it. Anything is possible, okay? Before I get so any non-Hasidic people here tonight, for the record, any non-Hasidic people? Okay, okay. Because it's amazing when you grow up a certain way, such a community, you get out of that world, you assume the rest of the world is that way. You know, nine out of 10 shows I do, I assume the audience is Hasidic. And 10 out of 10 times they're not. So it's a bit of a culture shock, as you can imagine. Bit of a learning curve. Very brave, but I'm here. Very brave, Malala's not the only one. Is what it is. My mother, I don't know if people grew up religious or Catholic. Catholic, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if you grew up in a big family, but uh, you know, my mother had a lot of kids, because it's ultra-Orthodox. My mother had, uh, I have five brothers and four sisters. My mother had 10 kids by the age of 30. Yeah, just enormous vagina, as you can imagine. Just, <laughs> yeah, 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 really. I had a very, uh, yeah, it's, it's where I get mine from, actually. My womb experience, yeah, one or two fists, whatever you want, it's a good time. We have a nice time. But I had a very spacious womb experience, a uh, full walk-in kitchen, very comfortable nine months, I have to say, very comfortable nine months. You know, food included, you don't see that? Huh? First nine months free, huh? Is that a good deal in New York? Not bad. Not bad. But my mother's a, a gross person, pretty gross. She does this to herself. You guys have hot moms or gross? <laughs> a lot of secular people have hot moms. I mean, people's moms, and I'm going, whew, it's a hot lady. I never had that as a religious girl. Nobody looked hot. There was a lot of pantyhose, the thick, thick pantyhose. More of a legging, the OG legging. And a terrible tan color, it never matched. That was not the point of it, it was one tone for everybody. Yeah, my mother, pretty gross. My little sister Yehudis got married in Vancouver recently. Is that pretty? Is that nice? So we all went out there, we made a meal of it, and we went, uh, just the girls, we had dinner. Me, my four sisters, and my mom. The six of us for dinner. We never get to do that. You guys have sisters. Is that good? Like, friends is fine, but you have sisters. Now we're talking. You know what I mean? And it's like, we never get to do that in my family. So it's pretty special. It starts off terrible as usual. My little sister Yehudis gets out of the bathroom. She's all pissed off. There was piss all over the seat. She's like, it's disgusting in here. Two seconds in, it's fucking gross in here. There was piss all over the seat. I had to squat. I read it. It was like, I can't squat. I don't have the leg muscle for that. You're different. You took over our father. I'm with Ma on this one, the leg muscle. I said, so when I get to the bathroom and there's piss all over the seat, what I have to do is I got to wipe it down. I work there now and then cover it three, four times, and then sit and relieve myself. That's what I have to do. And then I turn to my mother, I'm like, hey, Ma, what do you do? What do you do when there's piss all over the seat? Do you squat, or do you do like me? You cover and piss. And she's like, oh, I'd rather not say. <laughs> she's shy about these things. And I say, come on, Ma, it's just the girls here. We never get to do this, it's just the girls. The boys aren't here. We're all sharing girl talk. What do you do when there's piss all over the seat? Do you squat or do you cover it like me? And she goes, oh, I guess I just lift the seat and go there. 
she sits on the bowl? She sits on the bowl. Labia one, labia two, she goes. It's like, I love that she knew. She knew the two options. Like, I had prefaced the question with the two acceptable <laughs> answers for that. And she, out of nowhere, decides to go disgusting rogue with this option C that nobody has ever done. They blame the Hasidic community for bringing measles back. It was my mother. So gross. She does this to herself. She could have not been gross. She could have picked either the acceptable. Now I know she's disgusting. I can't unknow that. Anyway, 2020 and I'm straight. How's that? Huh? What, you don't think I've made out with nine guys in high school? I'm fucking straight. What, queer girls can make out with one girl in 04 and be queer? Well, I'm straight. And you can't tell me how my straightness works either. You can't define my straightness, just like I cannot define your queerness. Okay, my straightness works like this. I only fuck girls. I only date girls. And I only ever want to be with girls. Fucking straight. Don't fuck it up, I get pissed off. So all the queer girls with boyfriends in here better sleep with one eye open, because I'm coming. Twenty twenty, no polyp. How are you, sir? <laughs> no, but everybody's queer now. Everybody's queer now. You're queer. You're queer. You're queer. You're queer. We're all queer. Nobody left on the planet now. Not queer anymore. Happy Pride to everyone. I don't march. I'm gonna stand in the sun there. You fucking march. <laughs> I let the streets do something for us. How's that? I'm gonna risk burning? No, I don't think so. Everybody's queer. Like I'm not on the front fucking lines. Knee deep in pussy. <laughs> and you're gonna tell me you're queer? Fuck out of here. Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like to go down on another girl? I can't breathe. Suffocating under the covers because my girl's cold. <laughs> and you're gonna tell me you're queer. Fuck out of here. <laughs> I had a friend. Can I? We wore a beautiful outfit tonight. I'll say that. They can email me. <laughs> Could you mind standing? Aren't you happy you wore this outfit? You didn't waste it. You get to show off the scarf. Beautiful. Beautiful scarf, very feminine to me, a scarf. Never had one, but looks great on you. Thank you so much. Maybe after, sit down. <laughs> but you remind me, you look like one of my good old friends. She came to me suddenly to tell me she's queer. Never been with a girl. Somehow got to 30, never happened. She's engaged to a man, very in love with him. 
has no plans to be with a girl, but she feels somewhere she's queer. Like I'm not on the front fucking lines. <laughs> Do you know what it's like? She was like, oh, I made out with a girl. Made out with a girl. Oh, you did a little French kiss. You had a little French kiss with a girl like the cookies. You did a little kiss. Huh? You ever have blood on your hand? Yeah, clotty fucking blood too. Blue and shit. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. My man. That's not blood from a cut. That's pussy blood. Only one type of blood for that. Clotty ass placenta blood is what it is. All up in it. I gotta give a shit. You're gonna tell me you're queer. Fuck out of here. She's like, well, I went to see Get Out. Scary movie. Really made me afraid. I went with a female coworker and then I spent the night at her house because I was afraid from such a movie. And I saw it, it was scary. Not for her, but for some reason she felt it personally. <laughs> and she said, she said she slept with this girl and they had a sleepover. Oh, you had a little slumber? Huh? She said they got a little arm tickle. Oh, she tickled you and you had a little slumber party. A little bit of an arm tickle. You ever have squirt in your face? I lost vision in an eye for a week. And you're gonna tell me you're a queer. Fuck out of here. It's like, it's like you're in the headquarters in a cushy cubicle and I'm out on the front lines dodging squirt bombs and all kinds. How many sets of sheets do you have? I got 19 sets of sheets. It's way too many sets of sheets for a person my age. I'm flipping the bed like I work there. <laughs> We're ready to go again. Because nobody likes a wet spot. Nobody likes a wet spot. That's a big fucking spot because I know what the fuck I'm doing. normal? Do we got any straight people here? <laughs> Fucking weird. <laughs> Shit creeps me out. What are you doing, this? It's this. Natural. Weirdos. Normal. Normal people using the word partner? What are you, gay? Hi, oh, you little gay? My little sister comes up to me, she's like, uh, my partner and I split. I'm like, what are you, gay now? She's like, no, it's Ben. I'm like, I know him, but my sister's trying to use inclusive language. And I said, I know Ben. Why don't you just say Ben? I mean, he's part of the family. I've known him five years. They've worked together. It's not nothing. My sister was ultimately pretty sad. Big breakup. And I tried to comfort her. You know, they've been together a long time. I thought about it, and I was like, well, he wasn't rich. So really, what was she missing? What, men? It's easier for you to make money. At least have money. Huh? We're a little uncomfortable here, aren't we, sir? What, men? You invented the system that benefits you. Now work it. It's like I tell my little sister, your money is yours and his is both of yours. That's what equality means. 
pussy ain't cheap. Pussy is not free. Pussy is a high-end luxury product. Expect to pay a premium. You want free, get dick. Dick is free. Dick is so free, I could go out there right now and get two dicks if I want it. That's how free dick is. Pussy's a Chanel, save up. As soon as I found out I was gay, I'm like, I gotta get cash. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work these numbers. We have any men here? Thank you for coming forward, so brave. You've had a hard year. Don't worry, you'll get through this wave of feminism just like all the others. Keep it moving. But a lot of men have issues. I think we can all agree men have some issues. Some of them here tonight. A lot of men are dealing with this and my heart goes out. A lot of men dealing with these issues. I try and be sympathetic where I can. Kind person, what can I say? But a lot of men are dealing with this, becoming an epidemic, but a lot of men are dealing with this micro penis. A lot of them dealing with it. I'm starting to hear about it. It's creeping up in conversations. My sisters are out dating these men. They're very sad with this micro penises. I was watching this UK program. You watching the programming in the UK? Fucked up shit over there. What are they up to? I don't know why I'm blaming her for the entire UK. But it was, it was a morning talk show and they had three average looking dudes on the show. All there, good looking dudes, all there. So sad though, talking about their micro penis. One guy in particular was so upset about it. He said it's hard for him to stay with a girl because one, two, three dates in, he's got to tell her he's got the micro penis. And it's so hard for him. I got no penis and I fuck like hell. With a little bit of penis, imagine what I could do. <laughs> Fuck out of here complaining about your micro penis. You don't like some of that big clit energy. Come on. I'm Robbie Hoffman. Robbie Hoffman, everybody. Everywhere. Thank you. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah, briefly interrupting your podcast listening to say that at 6pm UK time, Monday to Friday, I'm doing a new Instagram live show on video called The New Normal, in which I interview a Guilty Feminist regular or friend of the show about how they're doing in quarantine. You can find that in our Instagram stories if you can't watch it live. They're up for 24 hours and then they're on YouTube and they are also in the form of a podcast. We're currently talking to sponsors about that show. So if you would like to sponsor it, please get in touch. And if you'd like to advertise on the Guilty Feminist podcast and you think your company shares values with us or has a diversity and inclusion program or something you'd like to talk about, then please get in touch. Now, I'm not a comic book character, but I do have an origin story. That's right. This week, a new documentary series dropped in which I have an episode and I am interviewed about the influence of a man called Keith Johnston on my life and how his 
way of thinking about the world and art allowed me to free myself up, to get out of a cult, to find the voice to be a podcaster, a screenwriter, an improviser, and all sorts of other things, including shaping my view of the world. I'd love you to have a look at it. It's on YouTube and you can find it through my social media. And we'll also put it in the show notes. It's called On Keith. It's not very long and I'd really love you to watch it and share it. Also this week, Steve Alley has an article in the British GQ entitled We Are All Refugees Now, and it's about what we can learn from the refugee experience of having change thrust upon you and an uncertain future. It's a very beautifully written article, and I'd really appreciate it if you would read it and share it. You can find it on our socials and in the show notes. And don't forget to choose love at choose.love and join Amnesty in the country you live in. This week, Steve Alley and I both have separate monologues about being in quarantine, and you can find those at Tortoise Media. They're coming out this week, but I really strongly urge you to listen to Grown Up Land. There's a recent episode about lockdown and Steve gives the most poignant monologue I've ever heard. It is absolutely stunning. Grown Up Land has been revamped with Sophie Duker and Heidi Regan, who you will know from the show. And it really is, I honestly believe this, one of the best podcasts out there at the moment, especially for what we're going through right now. I could not recommend Grown Up Land highly enough. So please check it out on BBC Sounds. I hope you are well wherever you are. Stay indoors, stay well, wash your hands, and please, please, please stay connected. And now back to the podcast. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Our guest today... Uh, has been writing all her life. Uh, She's best known for her food writing, but a couple of years ago she had a massive incident in her life and she changed her worldview and wrote this book, Enough Notes from a Woman Who Has Finally Found It. Please put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for Shauna Emma Hunt! 
seat. I have nothing to say about micropenises. Uh, about enough. What inspired you to write this? What inspired you to write a book called Enough? This part isn't very funny. I can't make it very funny. No, no, we love a gear uh, change. I was, at the time, writing, this was in 2015, I was writing a website called Gluten-Free Girl. A lot of people knew about it. Thank you, thank you. Three celiacs in the audience is great. Um, <laughs> and my husband and I were writing it together. It was our full-time job together. We had two small children and we were writing a blog for a living, which was a really bad idea. We were also running a gluten-free flour company. I'm a writer. I should never have started a gluten-free flour company. I was not a good business person. But what was going on, and is still going on, was the internet would say, you know, you can be wildly successful doing this crazy thing. And we were trying really hard. And in the middle of a meeting one day, I felt the left side of my face go numb. And I couldn't talk. And I caught myself rehearsing every sentence I was about to say three times because I didn't want it to come out dumb. And then slowly creep down, down, down my body. And I was having a mini stroke. So sent to the ferry, because I live on Vashon Island, sent to the ambulance, into the you know, hospital, and uh, thank God it was a mini stroke. It all went away within 24 hours. But my doctor later told me, you know, all of your tests are healthy. And I'm thinking, what the hell was that? How do you have a stroke and you're healthy? Oh, your heart's great. It was also weird because someone came in to test if I had a hole in my heart. Nice young man. And afterwards he said, you know, my girlfriend and I made one of your recipes last night. And I'm like, thanks. I hope it was good. And my doctor said, you're healthy. Is it due to the gluten-free diet at all? Well, I have celiac, so yeah, I have to be gluten-free. Oh, okay. I'm not one of those People no, who, I wonder if the, if the, if the stroke... No, Carry on, no, no. ignore me, ignore it me. It was stress. So my doctor said, look, you're healthy, but we know that emotional stress can cause physical damage. Right. So I want you to look... He was not a typical doctor. I want you to look and see what in your life makes you feel like you're not enough. And that exploded in my brain more than it felt like the stroke did. So I thought, well, God, if I'm going to look at that, that's a whole long life story. So I wrote this book because, of course, as a writer, I do this weird thing... Most people would like go to a yoga retreat or something. Me, I thought, I need to write a book in which I openly write about everything that has ever given me shame. Mm. And I did. And it turns out I'm now shameless. <laughs> Absolutely. Because what happened was when I started to write about what gave me shame, and certainly I've heard from hundreds and hundreds of, of people, mostly women, since the book got published in October, was it turns out you're never alone. The thing that causes you shame, what causes you damage is holding the secret. Mm -hmm. It's not that you did anything or felt a certain way or didn't feel good enough. It's that you hold it inside of you. Mm -hmm. um, I tell my daughter, whatever you don't say gets stuck in your chest. And eventually, if you don't say it, it just explodes out. So that's what the book is, is my attempt to understand everything that made me feel not good enough. Mm -hmm. And then the middle section is called Enough Pretending, which is about women's rage. Mm. You're going to read some of the, something from the book for us? Yeah. Do you so want to do it now? up and down? <laughs> yeah, do it however you like. Okay. okay, so please welcome to the microphone, Shauna Emmerhan. I'd like to say that I also dressed as B. Arthur in Maud for your for purposes, Eric. So happy you did that. So happy. 
Joan Rivers. Oh, my. Oh, yeah, also Joan Rivers, yeah. R.I.P. Murder to Death by her surgeon. Go on. <laughs> my book is divided into three sections. The first is enough pretending. Oh, excuse me, not good enough. And that's a rather sad and horrid story. I had a very, very weird childhood. We were talking backstage about that. We all sort of endured cults. And my family, little nuclear family at the time, was its own cult. It takes a long time to leave brainwashing. The second section is called Enough Pretending, which is what I'm going to read, the very part of the first essay, which is called The F-Words. And should anyone be surprised if sometimes when the white moon rises, women want to lash out with a cutting edge? Mary Oliver. Fuck. I love saying the word fuck. Fuck. It's sharp and guttural and sometimes the only word, the only word I tell you that makes any sense at all. Sometimes I say it in anger. That putz is such a fucking schmuck. What the fuck was he thinking of when he said that? That's the fucking best they can do? Sometimes I say it in a long exhalation of pleasure. Fuck. <laughs> and when I'm angry, righteously raging, not annoyed or irritated, but angry, it lands between every third word in my sentences in a monologue that would put a David Mamet play to rest behind a preschool book in the library. <laughs> I know, I'm a woman. I'm supposed to be demure, aware of the effect of my language on any children you buy. You know what that directive is? Be quiet. Stop talking. Say it nice. You should try smiling sometimes. Really, the children. Fuck that shit. When the first cookbook my husband and I wrote was published, I was still naive enough to rush over to Amazon to see if there were any reviews. Don't ever do that, by the way. <laughs> Bad idea. Please love my work. Please tell me I'm going to be okay. The first review, the only review, was from a woman who was outraged that she had bought the book and was reading it to her seven-year-old and read the word fuck in one of my essays. Outraged, I tell you. Immediately, I was mortified. So was our book editor who wrote to say that we had to do something about this. I took to all the social media letting people know that there is a swear word in the book and they should be warned. Many people wrote that it didn't bother them. Some of them wrote what I wanted to write. Lady, what in the hell are you doing reading a narrative cookbook about a writer and a chef falling in love through food? Oh, for fuck's sake. You can't read ahead if you're so concerned. But I couldn't write that. I had a book to sell. I had to make nice. And I was astonished to see how many people, all of them women, wrote that they would never be able to buy our book now. They had been so looking forward to that gluten-free bread recipe. <laughs> but they could not pay any money for a book that contained a terrible word like that. Ladies and gentlemen, Repeat after me. Fuck. 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 If you have not ever said that word once, that also means you have never accessed your rage. And rage is useful. Rage is necessary. Rage is clean and clear. The first step toward breaking through out of the box into the open air.
the second, and I'm not going to read the entire F words, but the second part is feminism. When I was in college, I found Simone de Beauvoir's book, The Second Sex. Yeah, Simone de Beauvoir. Let's give it up for Simone de Beauvoir. Yeah. I fell into the pages, ripping through them with increasingly awake anger. This book, published in 1949, felt like it was enormously alive. The words alert and tilted toward the times I lived in 40 years after its publication. Everything she wrote about the subjugation of women felt like a truth I had known in my body but had never been able to articulate. I underlined nearly the entire book, the ink from my red pen bleeding onto the pages behind it, sometimes obscuring the words and making me read harder. When I reached this line, I circled it 20 times. Her wings are cut, and then she is blamed for not knowing how to fly. This described what had happened to me all through my life. It's what my mother and father had done to me, both of them equally through their obdurate insistence on pretending that everything was fine when we were dying inside that house. All the windows were shut tight. The door was nailed closed. And my wings were clipped down to the nub so I could never question what was being done to me and fly away. But I also knew with a sudden, much broader perspective that one can only gain by flying high above the earth in warm air that this was not my story alone. I felt the power of the sentence in my gut and understood it was my story and so many women's stories. It was the story of all marginalized people, of black women and queer men and anyone who is not Christian in America and refugees and those who are disabled and those who cannot speak. It is the planned policy of those who are in power to keep others from realizing their own power. Clip their wings, then blame them for not knowing how to fly. I looked up from the book with furious tears in my eyes. And from that day forward, I call myself a feminist. My mother scowled at me when I told her I was a feminist. She went into a long diatribe about, oh, all those women who burned their bras and flounced off to protests in their long hippie skirts while the rest of us were doing the real work of the world, keeping house and raising children. These were familiar tropes, things she said so often I could have spit them back at her. Instead, I brought up intellectual arguments, quotes from the book, and passionate speeches. She waved her hand and laughed. I wasn't brave enough to repeat back that quote that broke me open. I didn't know that it had yet. I just knew something had shifted. Still, over the next 10 years or so, I drifted back. I no longer believed my parents' version of the 1960s, but I hesitated before I called myself a feminist. If anyone asked, I said, I'm a humanist. I believe in trying to lift up everyone. I don't want to say women are more important than men. Oh God, all lives matter much? Fact is, I had to liberate myself with years of therapy, meditation retreats, and honest conversations with people who matter to me most before I could see it clearly. Those clipped wings took decades to grow back. It's easier to make nice and say I want to work for everyone's freedom than to demand the liberation of women. Fact is, women have always been defined through men, the same way blackness has always been defined through whiteness and homosexuality through heteronormativity. Unless we stand up and shout, nope, my turn. We're going to talk about me now. Then we will never learn to fly. It took me decades of working on myself before I could figure out my own shit and start truly turning to other people's liberation. The same will be true for us as a society. I don't think we're going to see any real change in this culture until we put black women in charge of everything for at least 50 years.
In the meantime, the least I could do, and I do mean the very least, is to say it loudly. Fuck yes, I'm a feminist. That was brilliant, Shauna. We're very excited to read your book, and uh, we can get that from any good bookshop, ideally one that pays I just started reading again. It was perfect. <laughs> I haven't since 2004 about, and then I was like, well, let me try and do reading again. Yeah. So I'm doing it, and uh, this will be good. Next yeah. time I come back, I'd really like to do an episode with you about cults. Absolutely. Because it, yeah. coincidentally, we worked out in the dressing room, we'd all had an experience with a cult, and... Can I recommend, if you want your daughters to behave nicely, you do not put them into a high-control group because this is the fruits. (laughs) Seriously. They'll all find their way to a microphone. (laughs) And they'll say things they can say, but should they? Yes. So I just want to ask that question. Do you think that high control group beginning... So for you, it was a family high control group. Yeah, it was fear. My mother's fear. Everything revolved around my mother's fear and doing everything we could to stave it off. And so how much were you able to leave the house? Not at all. So it was a bit like... You know that documentary about... They're called Wolfmen or something? Yeah, the Wolf Pack. A very dear friend of mine who's a filmmaker has told me, you have to watch this film. It's the only thing I've ever seen that's close to your family. And I have not watched this film. Oh, my God. You're like my sister. Like, there's this documentary, One of Us, on Netflix. Yeah. And it's about people leaving the ultra-Orthodox community. I've seen it. It's great. Yeah, the first time I was ever able to ride my bike down the block and turn away so that my parents couldn't see me and then come right back, that was my 16th birthday present. No. Fuck me. Fuck me. It was awful. <laughs> were you homeschooled? No, we were allowed to go to school. I mean, that was actually where we shined. I have a, uh, an essay in here oh, called wow. Pick Me, Pick Me, because that's all I had. So I had to be Hermione Granger with my hand in the air all the time. Um, but other than school, we were not allowed to do anything. Wow. Did you always raise your hand in school? Always. Wow. Because you were a very good girl. I'm still yeah. trying to learn uh, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the wolf pack... They basically don't go outside at all. Occasionally they go to the park with their parents, but they're just, you know, then their parents are completely with them. Yeah. And they recreate movies because that's their conduit to the outside world. Yeah. Did you have any ways of bringing the outside world home from school or trying to replicate it in your home? Did you have siblings? Books. Books saved me. That's why I write them. It all started when I was about seven. It was horrible. You can read about it in my book. Yay. Um, (laughs) By the time I was 10, I knew instinctually, this is wrong. Other people are not writing about this. So there were, you know, the Brady Bunch didn't do this, you know. And so I started to get a sense that there was something else. But movies were really big. My brother and I made a lot of Super 8 movies. Wow. Same thing. You kind of create your own world because worlds are not available to you. How old were you when your mum left your dad and you were able to escape from Well, I went to high school in Montreal. I mean, I was still, we were still very, for me, we weren't fanatic, but I was kosher till 19. Right. So for me, leaving like, leaving the Hasidic community was like first leaving my dad and then it was, but we were still living Hasidic life. We moved to Montreal to Hasidic neighborhood and it's oh, almost so like still... a transition right. is how I would, you know, I think that for friends of mine who have transitioned, it's not overnight necessarily. You know, there are things, to this day, I kiss the mezuzah if I see it. Um, I put my right shoe on first. I say the shema every night. There are things, I have a lot of trauma regarding like the rules 
And for me, it's manifested into OCD. For me, being that level of religious is just OCD in the secular world. Like, they diagnose people. Like, everybody who's Hasidic would just have OCD because there's a certain way you wash your hand. There's a certain way you get dressed. You get dressed. You put your right shoe on because you would never not want to put your right foot forward. Is that what you want? I'm like seven. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, you know, and it's just the way that you do everything is so OCD-esque. And there's a lot I can't shake. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still parts of me. So it's, I so almost you, never say that I Are you saying it sort of triggers clinical OCD in some people? Yeah. I mean, the way I have to go into a room and touch this and then go there. And then when I wash my hand, I wash my right hand first and I cover it all the way to the wrist or you're not getting the whole hand. And there's everything. My life is controlled by all these like mini rules that anybody would think like that's OCD, but that's what all the religious people mm-hmm. I grew up with, like that's like basic. And then there's like the big things you have to do. It's all about controlling every facet of your life. Yeah. And there's still a lot of that with me. I have a unique experience in which my mother bravely, and I really want her to read your book because I don't think she's ever said the word fuck. She needs to say the word fuck. I actually think my mother has never said it. When you were saying that, I, I was like, I don't think huh. my mother said it either. I don't think she said it. Uh, but my mother got to a place of being so badly uh, mistreated. You know, through desperation, she took her 10 kids. She had something in her, and we had the support of my maternal grandfather. May he rest in peace. We had, I don't know if you guys read or saw the movie Not Without My Daughter, but if you picture that in America times 10, my mother took her 10 kids And due to her Canadian citizenship, we were able to go to Canada and get out. And so I'm in a unique place where I have my family. I'm extremely close to some of my brothers and sisters. I feel like we're the Hasidic Kardashians. I I, I, I don't know, um, you know, we don't have the glitz in the glam, but we certainly, I have nine other people who remember when, who get it. Mm-hmm. who are just totally... So that's why I always say I enjoy... I have a lot of friends. All my friends get insulted when I talk about this. They're like, well, we're best friends. I'm like, we are, but I have sisters. Also coupled with cult life often, and I think maybe yours is true. I don't know about yours, but sometimes... Um, can I reveal Jehovah Witness? Oh, yeah, I've talked about it loads. Okay. Also, I was really shaped by poverty. Um, and for me, the trauma of poverty, and I think a lot of cults, it's like a lot of kids with not a lot is so much more traumatic than we realize because the trauma of poverty or the, you know, the addiction we have to money or whatever your relationship with money is, is such that you can't get away from it. If you're addicted to pills, if you're addicted to alcohol, if you're addicted to... You can not go out, you can avoid... You know, there's programs or stuff. With money, it's everywhere. So I'm constantly re-triggered. Every day is money... And having grown up on welfare and in that type of environment was almost as traumatic as growing up religious. And the two are often found together. And so we were desperate, religious, faithful, and so faithful with nothing. Um, And it just never added up to me, even as early as six and as early as, you know. And now being successful, how I reconcile feeling like a poor kid but not being one um, is also something I have a lot of guilt about. And, you know, stuff like that. So I think it's all, like, a lot of religious people are also very poor. And the two, you know, just create tremendous trauma. Well, what I found, too, is that, um, you know, this book came out in October. 
So it's only been a few months. But then Brene Brown recommended it to everybody. So that's been also very nice. nice. I can't wait for this book. Are you getting Thank the you, book? Thank you, Brene. Yeah. Mike Dyke, you're getting the book. And I have had so many people, I think pretty much every one of them a woman, uh, write to me and tell me how much it's meant to them, which is the world to me. But what I did not realize is that when I was writing the story where I was felt utterly alone, you know, the story of how I'd spent all of my childhood under the tree at recess because I didn't understand anything. You know, I was so socially inept, I didn't understand how to play with kids, you know. I didn't realize I was sending up a signal for every kid who sat under a tree in the playground. And being able to hear from all of these women who still carry that trauma in their bodies. And that's actually one of the things that has come out for me most strongly after writing this is how deep that trauma goes and trying to get it out of my body. We're not alone in this. There are a lot of people who went through traumatic experiences and are still trying to work it out. But um, on the first day it, uh, it published, I was in Portland. And it, you know, published that day. And by noon, five people had written to me to say they'd read the entire book already. And I thought, whoa, Quick what read. the heck I just love happened? That. Hey, it took me four years to write. Come on, you know. <laughs> Slow down a little. Um, but I was walking to be on a TV show. And um, one woman wrote and said, thank you so much. Beautiful long message. And she said, this is the first time I've ever seen my family on paper. Wow. And I sat down on the sidewalk and burst into tears because... You know, I'm an adult now, and I've talked to a lot of people, so I know I wasn't alone and growing up in an abusive household or an isolated household, but I didn't know anybody else's family was just like mine, and I became a little kid just weeping on the street. Wow. I, okay, it wasn't just me. You had one brother? Yeah. i got to send this book to my mom. Okay. I'll give She's you this copy when fuck. we're done. <laughs> and, and, yeah, we've we got to help her out. Do you know, funny enough, although I didn't know this about either of you today I was having these weird feelings that were obviously you know like when there's cold weather coming and if you've got arthritis it starts to tingle you think oh I guess something the weather's yep. changing yeah I guess I had a sort of culty tingle like that knowing I was going to meet you it happens because I was walking out of the airport today out of Seattle airport to come to this very show and I walked past these two Jehovah's Witnesses they were standing there with their flyers one of them young man in a suit, looked right, and he looked so smiling, and he looked so nice. And I never do this, but I just did. As I walked past him, I said, please, Armageddon's not coming. Mm. It's not coming. Go back to school. Mm. It's not coming. Mm. And, and Good for you. He just went, have a nice day, you know, like, but, but I was just like, and normally I don't, I don't engage. If they knock on my door, sometimes They're I... They're hot sometimes, though. <laughs> They're, They're sending these guys. Like, I remember living on my own in Montreal. I was, like, 20. And I was like, could I be straight? And I was wanting to have an easier life. And it was so difficult. When I found out I was gay, I'm like, no. Come on. We've been through enough. Like, come on. I can marry rich. I could do well. I had a great figure. So... These guys come in, and they're, like, blonde, blue-eyed. They must be my age, like, 20, something like that. Hot as hell. I'm like look like hell opening the door. They're in suits. It's like 9 a.m. in suits. I'm like, well, I guess you can come in. <laughs> I mean, I don't see why not. I live on my own. I had no idea what they were up to. Two young 20-year-old blonde men, they were Mormons. <laughs> oh, Mormons? They're all fucking Mormons. Is I, Mormon not? I'm sorry, they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> they don't roll that way. Yeah, they could have been Mormon. I know who they were. They were and Mormons. then I told them I was Jewish and they didn't care. Yeah. They you were know, like, it's okay. Quite honestly, when I was a Jehovah's Witness, sometimes you'd be working the same street as the Mormons. 
And it's like the sharks and the jets, you know, there was a sort of like, hey, 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 like a mutual well, respect. Like pretty, no, it's like the pretty woman scene. Like, hey, we run this side of Hollywood. Yeah. You you're on, on that, that side one. of Hollywood. Great 100%. movie. Not if a feminist, but pretty woman. You work in the same hood as the. Fe- it's so sharks and jets, and you're like, yeah. But there was always a, like a little mutual respect because I was in Australia. It was very hot sun. So the ones that were over there, because they go to a different country, they're missionaries. We work local, and oh, we work forever. Support local. We Organic. work. We work local. We work forever. Those guys, they do two years and they get free education. Oh, yeah. We got told we couldn't even go to college or university. We weren't even allowed to go. This was just your life for fucking ever. So when they were like, oh, we're missionaries, we were like, yeah, we know two years and then you get a master's degree. Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> but the they one thing we had on them, because we all couldn't do all the same fun stuff, but sometimes like we'd stop and chat or you'd offer them a drink or something like that. And, like, we couldn't hook up or anything, because obviously, you know, different religions, but... <laughs> and also, we were all pulsating virgins. <laughs> pulsating. But the one thing we had over them was that we could drink coffee and tea. Yeah. That's a good we're like, thing. Oh, we're like, we're going, That's to, like we're, we're going off to Starbucks. Do you guys want a coffee? Oh, no, that's right, you can't. Yeah. You can't be stimulated in any way. Yeah, we're going to have a revivifying cup of caffeine. It's so delicious. How are people They were already pulsating. Coffee. They didn't yeah. need caffeine. We can't, we can't have sex. We couldn't do drugs. We couldn't do any fun stuff. But what we could have was like a caramel macchiato. Ooh, and those guys, those guys couldn't have a fucking cup of Earl Grey. <laughs> they, were, they were literally on the herbal tea. That's how sad their lives were. Uh, so there was a little bit of joshing about that, I remember. Hey, don't you find, I feel like now I, you know, it took forever and ever and ever for me to escape the cult of my family because it was total brainwashing. If you'd asked me when I was 25 what was the most important thing in the world, it was to save my mom from her fear. Can I ask what her fear was or would I give away the book? It was everything. I mean, she was afraid of leaving the house. She was afraid of dogs. We would, she would interrogate us every night. From the time I was seven until I was 17, every night she would sit my brother, me, and my dad in the kitchen nook in a very specific fashion. It had to start at exactly the same time. And she would stand in front of us and she'd interrogate us in both passive and active voice. Did any dogs get near you? Did you get near any dogs? Well, I mean, by the time I'm eight, I'm like, yes, I saw a dog today, but I know I'm not going to say it, for God's sake. Well, you know, what so was the fear of if the dog talked to you? I have no idea. That the dog I mean, would dog attack you? It was anything that was unplanned, anything that could not be controlled. So it was dogs, it was cats. I mean, I was like seven years old and answering, no, I didn't get kidnapped today and brought back by the time school ended, you know? It was truly bonkers. And then by the time I was probably 11 or 12, that wasn't enough anymore either. She had us signed little slips of paper saying, I swear I've told the truth tonight. And she'd keep them in little curled up slips and you'd open a drawer and there'd be thousands of these little slips of paper just jammed into the drawer, which she'd check every day to remind herself that it had been okay and she could make it to another evening until she asked Did us questions again. Did your father work? I don't understand my father at all. Oh. He got very mad. He has a lot of rage. And so he would get mad. Same. I mean, they had this just really sick do a really sick relationship in that since if she had all these weird rules like if you left the kitchen and went into the living room she'd have to start all over again so he gets he get mad again like every fourth or fifth day i would just at eight i was the one who was trying to be the diplomat and solve their fights dad don't say this because what she's gonna do is you know that kind of thing and so i would say don't under my breath don't leave don't leave don't leave just sit there just sit there come on let's get it over with and he would if he got mad enough stand up 
and stand by, on the line between the kitchen and the living room, and he'd dance his foot over and over and over, and she'd start screaming, and then he'd put his foot in the living room, and then they would, you know, we'd be up till four in the morning with them screaming at each other. Oh, my God. My God. But I got straight A's. Well, look, now you're a best-selling author. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Give it up. Yeah. Excuse me. And Robbie's won an Emmy. Yep. Woo! You know, so... And you're Deborah Francis White. Come on. Take so, time. <laughs> oppression builds character, as Kima Bob says. <laughs> I like that. I you like know, it's that. funny. I'm a mama. I've got an 11-year-old and a 5-year-old whom I adore. And my husband and I actually talk about this quite frequently. We're like, we don't want their lives to be too great. <laughs> you know? Because if they have these perfect lives where we do everything for them and they have all the things they need, they're going to come out jerks. Because if you've, I don't want them anywhere near the level of oppression that I had. And luckily, my daughter almost died when she was born. So she's fine. And, you know. Luckily. Luckily, my, my five-year-old son is black, so he's totally taken care of on that one, you know. But I mean, like, really, to think about, I want them not to have perfect lives. I want them to ha that's how we learn. And I want to make sure that they Should have... Should you be the parent of these children? Yeah. I don't know. No, I do know what don't you call mean. CPS I do it. know what you mean. I think if you have a child who is a person of color, there's no danger of that child no. not understanding Can I say something so controversial you'll probably edit it out? She's going to say We've it, but should she? have gone over time. I agree with the narrative that cis white men are the most privileged. There's no question I agree with that. Due to my trauma surrounding poverty, I do allow or see the ways in which some people of any sex, gender, race, race can be affected and oppressed. I think poverty can shape a lot of these cis white men um, in ways that I think in circles like this, no offense to all of you who had the money to buy tickets to an event like this and were exposed enough to know of this type of stuff that they would never see. And I right. do have a guilt about it growing up in a community like that and seeing good boys be really mistreated and being victim to extreme poverty and extreme mistreatment. I'm not giving anybody a pass but some of them have grown up to be cis white men, but you don't know the full story. That said, they're not the point of what I'm arguing. Mm. We don't need to speak for them because they're spoken for enough and their privilege You're does carry right, them though, enough. About working but I just wanted to mention that one thing because yeah. I, yeah. I move in such privileged circles now. Um, and for me, I have a lot of sometimes not issue with it, but I feel uncomfortable a lot. I'm white and I pass privileged. And I always feel like I've been a fly on the wall mm -hmm. for a lot of really, you know, underrepresented people. So I will just say that yeah. when we use this You're blanket. Right. Right. Totally. You're right. Absolutely. Um, In fact, you know, after I, after I finish writing this book, I think the only hope we have is that if we could actually meet each person as a person instead of cis white men or queer women, you know, like it's hard not to compartmentalize and make groups because that's how our brains work. But we got to work against it. We have no idea what someone else's story is. No, it's, and I agree. It's, Listen, it's they true. are, they have enough representation. So I'm it's not trying to be that voice for them. I just, I'm not even trying. It, you can edit this out. I just, I no, don't... No, I don't think we should because... Okay. I'm going to get how true. many emails? It's my... 
I will admit. She's a Bernie bro. I'm not. Come I on. Work, I, I found Warren this out from workshopping a play that we, I do have a blind spot for working class, white, straight, cis, non-disabled men. I do. I know it's true that there are a lot of working class men who are in a much, much, much more marginalized position than I am. And they're the only people who don't write in and complain when we don't represent them, right? And it's because they're not listening. They don't think the space is for them. It's true. They yeah. don't think well, the they're not, they don't have yeah. access. They're, they're working hard. They don't have access or they don't have a conduit. They don't feel it's for them. And yeah. I think it is true. It is true. And I hear you and I thank you for saying it because yeah. I think it's so easy just to go, men, yeah. um, and actually all white men. And you don't need a dyke promoting men. I don't even like men. I have no interest. <laughs> I think there's too many of them. Uh, the ones who are already oh, here are grandfathered in. That's fine. Uh, I think we can close the valve on men. I don't even want to have to. I felt, just as a poor kid, I felt like I had to speak up for poor kids rather than anything else. That's it. You're cutting. I'm not getting a check. I get it. I like men. But I like the men who are feminists, I've got to say. And I'm yes. married to one, and I'm thrilled. And if you're a yes. feminist man, raise your hand. Or yes. just cheer. It's a podcast. Yes. And then the rest of you give them applause. Yeah. Thank you, feminist men. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, Although I've got this wonderful husband. It's hard. Men get more credit for being feminists than women. It's true. You know, true. here's the thing, though. My husband and I have talked about it a lot. It's so much easier for women to have these conversations. Early on in our relationship, I said to my husband, it's hard for men to make friends in this culture on the kind of way we do, right? And I said, oh, you know, you had this talk with this guy. You should ask him out for coffee. And he said, do you have any idea what would happen if I asked that guy for coffee? You can't do that if you're a man. Fucking like, gay. You know, exactly, right? No. Oh, yeah. Vashon I call well, not on Vashon, but in Seattle we were living at the time. Really? In yep. Seattle, a man can't say to another man, oh, we should talk about that. Let's have a coffee? Yeah. It would Seriously. Be, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's outrageous. And it's that outrageous, to, but it's true. I'd rather be a woman than a man to, any day for that. We need to get on that. Uh, yeah. By the end of 2020, men in Seattle need to be able to invite each other out for coffee. I, again, as I I watched Frasier go to Cafe Nervosa, <laughs> dust down your seat. Come on. Frasier was up in his apartment. <laughs> no, okay. it's true. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White. Yes, Lawrence, Robbie Recording engineer was Chris. Music was by Mark Hodge. Introduced was Tom Selinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Bolan, Miranda, and everyone at the Neptune Theatre, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Thank you, Seattle. You've been amazing. We've been the Guilty Feminist. I'm Deborah Francis White. Good People who run the theatre. They're and gone. And they're have gone. They There's gone home? no one left. To be honest, I think they've just gone. We've got homes to go to. They've <laughs> left. It's a lock-in. We can just stay here and party all night. Uh, I'm sure that's not true. People not who anybody run, wants to get me drunk. People who run the theatre, are we meant to leave now? We, we are all the time. Yeah. Oh, if anybody, okay. I'll pay you back. But if anybody, I can't walk there quite for does another it, light beer. Whatever they have those lightest. Does anyone... Yeah, we may need a round of drinks if we're going to do it ten minutes more. <laughs> Does anyone here need to I'll go because you. of public transport or babysitters? Yeah. 
if anyone needs to go, because I don't want... You know that awkward thing of thinking, I can't get out, and we were told the show would be earlier. If so you don't if you... like Jews, stand up and leave. <laughs> okay? No. Okay. No. No. Okay. No. No. If you need to leave, it is not, oh. a, it is not a prejudicial act. Uh, just give a... No, KKK. we'll just give a big round of applause for anyone who has to go. Thank you so much for coming. Tell us about Quiz, because this is about a real-life woman who got pilloried, yes. and this is, you know, this is something that's very relevant to the press at the moment. Women in the press getting trolled, getting pilloried, getting hate mail. So... This is really, really relevant, and this is an actual woman. This is not a fictitious character. Can you tell us about her? Yeah, I would love to. I'm so excited about this project to come out. And, yeah, like, unfortunately, timely, actually, uh, this show called Quiz is coming out, and I'm playing a character called Diana Ingram, who, if you remember, the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire scandal in 2001. Some um, of our listeners won't have been born then, yeah. so could you fill them in? So that is Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which ago. hopefully you've heard of, one of the biggest game shows of all time at that moment in history. It was the biggest prize money that had ever been given away mm. on a game show. It was the biggest show at one time. A third of the country were watching it. It was huge. It won every award, every year, always. And if yeah. you're a very young person, this is when the whole family had to watch one screen because there was only one screen. Can you imagine? And often your, one of your parents would decide what was on that screen and you, you would swipe the screen and nothing would happen. So... It was awful times, really terrible Dark times. Dark days. So they would try and make things on the screen that everyone wanted to watch, very rarely successfully, but this was one that you should, you know, we... It all, was like, it, yeah, yeah, it had this huge, huge you'd, following. You'd and sit in the chair and, you know, there'd be sort of music and, you'd, <laughs> you know, there'd be multiple choice and you could narrow it down to two and you could ask the audience to chip in. It was a great game yeah. show and you could win a million pounds back yeah. over to and, and it's... 15 questions which it's the simplicity yeah. of this show is what made it so addictive because it feels achievable yeah. like even now when I play it on a plane because I sometimes have it on flights as a game I'm convinced I'm going to do it yes every time every time you think I can do this I can do it and um, Diane Ingram was one of those people who became obsessed with this show her and her brother Adrian and basically her and her husband were accused and convicted of cheating their way to a million pounds. And he's referred to as the coughing major, even though he didn't cough at all. But that's just because people are stupid. <laughs> anyway. Um, Simplistic. Or they've misunderstood the narrative. But that's the narrative that was led by the press. And that is mm. the only side of the story that we've ever been exposed to, yeah. which is that it's this open and shut case. They absolutely did it. And hopefully we're going to blow that story wide open. Oh, well, really? Yeah. So was she in some ways pilloried more than he was? Yeah, so she, she was, was portrayed as this kind of Lady Macbeth character. And I was very careful in my research of her to avoid all press uh, that was written about her because they just described her as... You know, all the classics, manipulative, calculating, mm. that she'd engineered the whole thing. He'd had nothing to do with it. And amazingly, they're still together. 
as a couple, which, so um, there's a real- I thought you said brother and sister. No, 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 so her and her husband, Charles. There's her brother, Adrian. Oh, yeah, okay. I got, that they were obsessed. Like, oh my gosh, we have to take a turn. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Deeply panicked, I was like, yay, I guess. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they're happy. What? <laughs> they just, <laughs> this has turned into Game of they Thrones. They pushed through <laughs> all the taboos, yeah. No. So initially, sorry, that's me. I'm such a tangent talker. No, um, no, we, no. so her and her brother initially became very, very obsessed with the show. Right. And then she roped her husband, Charles, into going on right. to the show um, once her and her brother had both been in the chair. So their whole family had, had been on. But it's a really fascinating tale. Like, we're uncovering new evidence. There's a thing called the syndicate, which was actually called the consortium, which is a genuine like group of quiz nerds who sort of found a way into the show. So they wow. sort of, yeah, uh, they sort of exposed its weaknesses and procured a lot of money from that show wow. because of it. Yeah. And have you had to work quite hard to find this other side of her so that we can see her as a fully rounded human being and not just the worst person in the world? Well, what's extraordinary about how the press create a narrative is that I just watched, I didn't have much footage of her. I had some footage of her on the show when she went on and of when she's the guest of her husband when he's in the chair. But apart from that, there's this half an hour documentary. And of course, she knows she's on a camera, so she could be painting any kind of facade that she wants. Yeah. But I decided to just, you know, ignore everything that had been written and to just observe her. And I'd sometimes turn the sound off and just watch her, actually. Mm. And for me, there was just something uh, deeply naive about her, really introverted, really shy, and very sweet. And I decided to just go with that. I wanted to get to the heart of her because, to me, it was very obvious that that's who she was and not this other thing that had been created, this monster. Mm -hmm. Matthew McFadden plays Charles and he and I met them on our last day of filming and it was the most magical moment when I met her because she radiates that feeling of sweetness mm. and not this kind of dark thing that um, she'd been painted as and I just thought it was so cruel and they were persecuted by the press and harassed beyond anything you could imagine they're still dealing with the repercussions of that now wow. and and it actually wasn't even twitter at that time yeah no, no. there was no social media anything like that um, can you imagine but they you know they they were questioned by the police and they showed they got and they went home and their lawn was covered oh, with God. the press because the police had tipped the press off and James Graham wrote it, and he yeah. is just a master of lacing his stories yeah. with political truths. And, and this moment in history, so when Charles initially went on the show, it was two days before 9-11. And so initially, ITV didn't think it was going to be investigated because this other much bigger um, situation was going on. But of course, it was a different department of the police force. So... It was investigated, but it was very... Um, it's a time that James was really interested in looking at, not just because he was obsessed with the show himself yeah. growing up and fascinated by the story, but because he thinks it was the beginnings of when our relationship to truth began to blur. Right. It's when reality TV just took over. Mm. That was so... Around the same time, Big Brother was Millionaire was 97, yeah. and, yeah, Big Brother was 2000, and so... 
it was just around that time that that format really took over. And so it is interesting and it, yeah, it does predate social media, but I would say the harassment levels are exactly the same. And the things that happen to them as a family are shocking and nobody knows that side of the story at all. A huge thank you to the amazing patrons who have supported this podcast at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. Valerie Marr, John Corcoy, Sarah Boom and Sarah. 